y'all, I keep writing these messages that seem to be so serious. Like there's, they're inspired of the spirit. I pray, I listen, I write, and then I get down to it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is another heavy one. There's not, there's not a lot of laughter in here. And then people usually come up to me like, no, man, we like those hard-hitting, truth-convicting messages. And I think this, I don't say it out loud, but I think this, I'm like, you probably also like root canals <laughs> and cleaning out your attic and weeding the garden and being audited by the IRS. If you enjoy those kind of things, you're going to love this message. I pray that all of you, well, but since today we're going to go deep quick again, I thought I better start with some humor. So um, there was a rabbit. That's the whole joke. No, there was a rabbit and he went into the butcher shop and he said to the butcher, do you have any carrots? Apparently he's a British rabbit, a hare. And the butcher said to him, no, we're, this is a butcher shop, right? We got like leg of lamb, shank of horse, cow tongue stuff, right? No, no carrots. Get out. So the next day, no particular day, maybe a Tuesday, the, the bunny rabbit hops back into the butcher and says, have you any carrots? And the butcher says, Are, weren't you here yesterday? No, we have like beef products and chicken products and sausages. Nope, get out. So the next day, the rabbit walks in on a Wednesday and begins to open his mouth. Have you any? And the butcher's like, wait, I know you. The next time you come in here and ask for carrots, I'm going to nail your ears to the wall. This already sounds so serious. <laughs> the carrot hops out. The carrot, the bunny rabbit hops out. The next day comes and no rabbit. The day after, no rabbit. The day after, no rabbit. But then that fourth day, in hops the rabbit to the butcher and he says to the butcher, have you any nails? <laughs> no, we have no nails. All right, then. Have you any carrots? <laughs> what does this joke have to do with the message? Absolutely everything. Because here's the truth of today's message. If you go looking for the right thing in the wrong place, you're going to starve to death. If, if you go looking for the right thing in the wrong place, you're going to be unsatisfied. If we go looking for the right thing here in this wonderful earth and even in our great nation, we will not be satisfied. You picking up what I'm putting down? We're going to start today. Today's message is entitled, There's No Place Like Home. And you ought to know the end of this message from the beginning that as a citizen of heaven, which is what a new human is in our series called A New Way to Be Human, a believer in Jesus is one who's been born again, therefore they are new. And Paul in his letter to the Philippians is teaching them how to be new humans. And in the passage of scripture we're going to read today, he talks about being a citizen of heaven. But as a citizen of heaven, you will not find the right thing on earth and our great nation it's the wrong places to look. This world, this nation is not our savior. 
This place is not our home. And it will be no surprise to you that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says it better than me, as usual, in Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, let's open it up to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the church that he planted. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our ushers will be glad to bring you one that you can keep or you can return. It doesn't matter to us. If you need one, anyone? Excellent. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 17 is where we're going to start. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're not ready, say, hold up, wait a minute. Okay, I'm waiting. Did somebody really say that or are you just joking around with me because we're being funny? I'm waiting. Is that you, Michelle? I'll wait. I see your golden pages opening. I love it. We ready? It's worth waiting. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, join together, Paul says, in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Is my voice sounding weird? Okay, maybe it's just my ears. I have big rabbit ears. Verse 18, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, so he's feeling this dramatically in his spirit, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. And finishing with the first verse of chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You may remember the classic writing, The Wizard of Oz. Anyone remember this? I think we may be growing a generation right now that doesn't know The Wizard of Oz, but it's a classic full of many famous quotes. In fact, if I said, yell out one to me, you would. So somebody yell me out a famous quote from The Wizard of Oz. Go ahead. Follow the yellow brick row. Follow the yellow brick row. Follow the follow the row. Anyone say something else? There's no place like home. Very good. Very good. If I was wondering who would say that, Bob. Did you hear what he said? If I only had a brain. Yes, right? I'm melting. What about that one? That's how we feel in Florida in the summer. Mm -hmm. Of all the quotes, perhaps none is more fitting to us in our times that we are living than the one that Dorothy spoke to her dog, Toto, when she said, and I quote the movie, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. And Toto said back to her, nothing. <laughs> Dorothy, having landed in Oz, is suddenly aware of her new surroundings, right? She makes note that this place is not like home. It looks different. People act different. They sing different. And at once, it's frightfully clear to her she's a stranger in a strange land. It's apparent. She's out of place. It's abundantly clear. In 2022, people of faith, I would say to all of us that somewhere along the way, our senses have been dulled by the inundation of distractions. We've been captivated by the allure of the indulgences around us so that 
to the extent that we have become one with the culture in which we live, to where there is no longer a distinction of place, no strangeness of land to us here, no differentiation between where one should be and where one actually is. And I've come today, Paul in Philippians has come today to say, friends, new humans, I have a feeling we're not in heaven anymore. This place that we are is distinctly different from the place that we should know as home, but it's become so comfortable that it's no longer distinctive. This home, this earth, has become what heaven was always meant to be for us. Paul says that there are two groups. He says that there are those who belong to heaven that are citizens of heaven and those who live as enemies of the cross, whose citizenship is confined to the culture of the day. Their minds are set on earthly things. They are citizens of the world. So let's just pause here a minute and define citizenship so that we're all on the same page. Biblically speaking, it's the same as it is in like Webster's definition. It's the same definition. It goes like this. A citizen is a person who by place of birth, by nationality of one or both parents, or naturalization is granted responsibilities and full rights as a member of a nation or a political community. By birth, by nationality of parents, or by naturalization, you become a citizen of a nation or a political community. As a citizen of this community, you agree to abide by the governance, the culture of that community. And it's interesting that Paul is using these words when he's speaking to the church in Philippi, because if you remember, if you've been around in this series, Philippi is full of Roman citizens, though it's not in Rome. It's way over here. Well, in your direction, it's this way, in Turkey, Greece, that area, right? And not only are they any kind of citizens, they're retired military people, they're veterans, all kind of gathered together. They know what it means to be a citizen of Rome because they spent their life defending and upholding the principles and governance of Rome. They're committed to it, devoted to it. They're veterans. That's what veterans do. And now Paul is bringing this idea up as he did earlier in Philippians chapter one, and we could go back and read that, but he's asking them to give their allegiance to a higher calling, a heavenly citizenship, And they would have understood that when they hear the word. You're asking us to be as devoted to the heavenly kingdom as we have been to this earthly kingdom, to Rome. And he's like, yeah, I'm calling you up higher. Rise up and be blessed. The same is true for us today. Even in this great nation in which we live, believers in Jesus, new humans are called now to a higher governance And you can almost hear Paul speaking to us, just like, hey, rise up, become a citizen of heaven. You already are. Now live like a citizen of heaven. Rise up and be blessed. Rise up and be blessed. Two things that I want to address today. Number one, I want to make it clear who is a citizen of heaven, who the citizens of heaven are, right? So that there's no doubt in the room, be very clear. And secondarily, I want to make clear why being a citizen of heaven is of great value 
for us to even usurp our citizenship in this nation, if you're a nation, if you're a citizen of the United States, or whatever country you're a citizen of, to be willing to lay that down, even that great thing, for this greater thing, this greater calling. Rise up and be blessed. According to the definition of citizenship, in order for citizenship to be complete, you must be one of the above. We've said them many times now. Let me just repeat them. You must be born in that place, born to a citizen of that place, or become a citizen through the process called naturalization. Now, what I want you to know this morning, without a doubt, that when somebody puts their faith in Jesus, they fulfill not one, not two, but all three of these requirements. When you place your faith in Jesus. I show you this again so that there is no doubt when you trust Jesus for salvation, you're no longer a citizen of just an earthly place. You are now a citizen of a heavenly place. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, the kingdom of heaven is of righteousness, joy, and peace. I want to be a part of that nation, that kingdom. So I'm going to run through this really quickly just to give you the biblical evidence of what I'm speaking about. You're going to see a lot of scripture on screen. It's going to be a quick download. But in the entire time, I just want you to keep thinking, yes or no. And there's no condemnation if it's a no. There's invitation like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not yet a citizen of heaven because these things haven't happened for me. And today you can opt in by faith, by belief. So citizens of heaven, number one, it's a citizen by birth. You're born again. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Everyone say new birth. Jesus himself says in the book of John, speaking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, he says, In order to be of the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. This new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, in the kingdom of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, you have access to it because you've been born again. So you've been born into this citizenship. Number two, a citizen by parental heritage. These words, Abba, Father, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, us, under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship and daughtership. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, Great news, this is the gospel right here. You're no longer a slave to the law, to sin, but you have become God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. You're not just a child, you're God's child. And you're not just God's child, you're an heir to the throne of this kingdom that you are now a citizen of. And how are you a citizen of it? Because your parent is a citizen of it. He's really the owner of it, the creator of it. And finally, not only are we born again, not only by parental heritage, but we are a citizen by naturalization. We were not citizens, but we became the people of God. That's the process of naturalization. I wasn't a citizen, but now I am. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10, once you were not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So if you place your faith in Jesus, you are a born-again child of God who became a part of the people of God, which means you are undoubtedly signed in the blood of Jesus, a citizen of heaven with rights and responsibilities that come along with it. And this is great news for anyone who would believe. Somebody say amen. amen. Are you happy to be a citizen of heaven? Yeah. yeah, come on. Some of you will recall a man by the name of Jeff Foxworthy. Anyone remember this great comedian? I don't suggest that you do a deep dive on Jeff Foxworthy because some of his material you may find offensive. Um, but Jeff did something that I think is apropos for us today, for he spent much of his routine defining a culture. He made clear to everyone who was listening that you may be a part of this culture if you've done certain things. Do you remember the culture that he characterized and separated out for all the world to know you're either a part of this culture or you're not? That culture is the culture of? <laughs> I don't know if it's offensive if some of you said rednecks. <laughs> hey, we got no problem with rednecks, white necks, blue necks, black necks, you name it. They're all welcome here. But Jeff Foxworthy made it super clear that you might be a redneck if you've done these certain things. He would say something and he said, well, then you might be. I just have a few examples here. If you've ever mowed your grass and discovered a car, you just may be a redneck. If your wife has ever had to say to you, can you move this transmission so that she could take a bath, you may be a redneck. Has anybody ever actually done that? Okay, you don't want to admit it. If you own a house that has lots of wheels on it, but cars that don't, <laughs> you might be a redneck. And my favorite one, if you've ever made change in the offering plate, That's all kind of necks. Yep. A stiff neck. Um, if you heard Jeff say one of these statements and you nodded like, yep, that's true of me, then you could identify yourself as being a citizen, a part of, a member of that cultural community. You're a redneck. Congratulations. Nothing wrong with that. It's special. But I believe this is exactly what Paul is doing in this passage of Philippians. He's saying if you do this then you are signifying by the fruit of your life that you may be a citizen of the world, while if you do this and live this way, you may be a citizen of heaven. And I want to be clear, you can be a citizen of heaven and still act as a citizen of the world. I mean, you are saved by the blood of Jesus, and nothing can steal you from the grace of God. You did nothing to earn salvation, so you can do nothing to unearn the salvation. That's grace. However, you could still be living under the governance and the order and the culture of the world, even though you're saved by faith. And Paul is making this distinction here. So in the style of Bishop Foxworthy, let me offer you three defining statements that can help you determine which citizenry you are currently giving your allegiance to, even if you're saved. You may still be giving your allegiance to the citizenry of the earth. Are you following me? Say yes. What are you going to say? No. You may be a citizen of earth if you willfully choose destruction. 
You may not know when you're choosing it that you're choosing destruction. It doesn't feel destructive in the moment. But Paul says their destiny, this ends in destruction. Root canals, tax audits, weeding. Okay, that's, this is the part now, right? This is the major why of this passage and of this message. Citizens of the world are doomed to destruction. And I'm not, again, talking about salvation. You are sealed by the blood of Jesus and headed to an eternity with God. But the things in your life, the things that you are participating with, may be headed towards destruction even while your soul is headed to heaven. Relationships, even if you're saved, could be headed towards destruction because you're living as a citizen of the earth. Your finances, even though you're saved, if you're not participating in the way that a citizen of heaven would participate, could be headed towards destruction. What does the word destruction even mean? It's a word you only find in the Bible. It's the word perdition. There was a movie that came out years ago, The Road to Perdition. Tom Hanks is in it. Really sad movie. Don't waste your time uh, unless you like to be depressed. And then you can watch that and you probably love this message. That's how it goes. But perdition means to be cut off. So there's a branch that's cut off because of its own choice and now is no longer connected to that which gives its life. And the idea is not that just that the branch is cut off, but everything that that branch was going to produce is now no longer going to happen. There was destiny of life and fruitfulness and goodness for your marriage, for your finances, for your inner thinking, whatever you want, your emotional, spiritual life. All of that was destined, but because we choose to live by citizenship of the earth, that gets cut off. And the fruit evaporates. And it's so good. So how does one choose destruction? It's really, really simple. Not following the instruction manual. Citizens of heaven are governed by this. Citizens of heaven submit themselves to this. Why? Let me read a piece of scripture to you. James chapter 1, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. So when you read this, the intent of all of this is to give you freedom, right? If, uh, let, me get, let me read this again. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, lives by it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let me prove it to you. There's an Oxford anthropologist named J.D. Unwin. In his book, Sex and Culture, he confirmed that after studying 80 civilizations over 5,000 years, that monogamous heterosexual marriage precedes cultural advancement and that sexual promiscuity always precedes a civilization's collapse. And when he uses the word always, he means every single time these 80 civilizations over 5,000 years when they followed what's actually in the word of God, their countries, their nations were blessed. They advanced. And when they decided to take things into their own hands, specifically in the realm of sexual promiscuity, well, that's when things started to go downhill. 
This is a quote from the book. Once a country begins to go down the path of unrestrained sexual passion, it is irreversible. The nation is doomed. Lust refuses to be limited, and as an out-of-control fire, it will burn down everything. Hello. Another guy, British historian Arnold Toynbee, examined 22 major world civilizations and found that they started to decay when they lost their moral fiber and deep state elites turned parasitic. This is a quote from the book. Of the 22 civilizations that have appeared in history, 19 of them collapsed when they reached the moral state the United States is in now. He wrote this book before he died in 1975. I don't think we've gotten morally better since 1975. This feels heavy, I understand, but I want to show you what James is saying and what Paul is saying, that if we choose citizenship of the earth and live according to the earth's morals, it leads to destruction. A citizen of heaven, however, instead of choosing destruction, chooses blessings. Chooses blessings. You're actually going to take this test this week as you vote. Oh, don't you love talking about sexuality and politics and church? So fun. Woo! Here's a question. Will you vote as a citizen of heaven or a citizen of earth? Here's how I look at it biblically. On earth, in the United States of America, because of our veterans, I have the right to vote. I can choose whatever I want, but as a citizen of heaven, I give up my independence to declare my dependence on the perfect Father, and therefore I give my vote to Jesus. I submit my opinions. I submit everything I've heard on Twitter and on social media and on CNN and, and Fox News and all these talking heads and Turning Point USA and, and uh, you know, Gavin Newsom in California. I mean, you got the extremes of all extremes. I take it all in, that's fine. But at the end, when I get in the voting booth, I'm not a citizen of earth, I'm a citizen of heaven. And I know that this perfect God will bless our nation if we align with him and align with our words. Our nation, and this is irrefutable, you can go do the study yourself, or you can email me, and I'll send you all the information. It is overwhelmingly irrefutable that our nation was founded by Christian men, fallible Christian men. They had issues. I got issues. Anyone else got issues? Okay, thank you for your honesty, right? They had issues, big issues, but they still were intending to found this nation on biblical principles, and because they founded the nation on biblical principles, our nation was blessed of God to become one of, if not the greatest nation in the history of the earth. And now we've turned from God. And irrefutably, the, walls, the wheels are falling off. And no one should be surprised. Paul told us in Philippians that voting with the world brings destruction. Living as the world brings destruction. Back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God's speaking to the people in Israel who constantly go from being a citizen of heaven to being a citizen of the earth, back and forth. We read it quickly in the Bible, but it's happening over hundreds of years, this repetitious cycle. They're with God, they're tied with God, God's blessing them, the nation is flourishing, they turn their backs, they get stiff-necked against God, and destruction comes. 
Their nation is burned to the ground. They're exiled for 70 years. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They've been banished in Egypt for 400 years because at some point they stopped being a citizen of heaven and they started being a citizen of earth. Whoop. This is what he says to him in Deuteronomy chapter 30. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. You get to choose destruction or blessing. God says, please choose life. Choose life for your sake, the sake of your children. Do I need to tell another joke? No. Okay, good. I don't have any more. <laughs> Number one, you may be a citizen of earth if you willfully choose destruction. Number two, you may be a citizen of earth if you aren't hungry for home, for heaven. Paul says their God is their stomach, which means that we desire the things of the earth. And if you desire the things of the earth, guess what? You're going to get your fill here your appetites will be satiated, but it will be temporary and it will be destructive by the food of the earth. Three main areas, wealth, fame, and pleasure. Three things that I would say are the pinnacles of the American dream. Wealth, fame, pleasure, right? As a citizen of heaven, we hunger for that which is eternal, meaning we are driven by no temporary thing. Let me put this in context for all of us. If you own a business, is your goal to make money or is your goal to resource the kingdom? If you work for somebody else who owns a company, is your goal for promotion, for raise, or is your goal to have an influence on everybody that you have an opportunity to work with in the name of Jesus? If you have children... Or you get to help raise somebody else's kids. Is your goal to help them to be the next great doctor, lawyer, teacher, astronaut, you name it. The next great star athlete, star musician. Or is the goal of your life to create a world-changing, eternity-blessing disciple of Jesus? It's a distinction that happens in our heads when we say, I'm no longer just a citizen of earth. I'm a citizen of heaven have rights and responsibilities as such on the earth. I'm going to willfully long for home and not be satisfied by the places here. It's why Dorothy said, there's no place like home. Like I want to be back where I'm from. One way to test if you're hungry for the world or for heaven is to look at your finances. We've talked about sexuality. We talked about politics. Now we're talking about money. This is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus himself says to us, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Vermin means cockroaches. Look it up. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and cockroaches don't destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your money isn't making sense to you, it may be because you're not being sensible with your money. 
And when I talk about sensible, I'm talking about stewardship. God gives us money as a test of faith to see if he can trust us with that which could become our greatest idol. It's the thing he talked about more than heaven and hell combined, more than prayer, more than faith. He talked about money, Jesus, the word of God, because it's the greatest temptation for man to trust provision over provider. And if we're longing for the things of heaven and not the things of earth, then we will not let the things of earth satisfy what only the owner of heaven can satisfy. The things of heaven. Luke chapter 16, verse 11, I don't have it for you on the screen, but it essentially says, if God can't trust you, trust you with earthly riches, how can he trust you with true riches? Real riches. And stewardship. The Lord is looking to see if we as a church, as you as a believer, as a citizen of heaven, will return to heaven in a tithe, that which is the test of faith for all of us. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you store your treasure there? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's not in reverse. You don't put your heart there first and your treasure comes following along. You put your treasure in heaven and then your heart follows along with it. I'm not going to make, I thought about this and then I thought, whoa, that's a bad idea. Uh, I was going to have everyone that tithes stand up, which means that everyone that doesn't tithe would be sitting down. And that's condemnation and shame. And I don't want that. However, I can guarantee you this. If every person that tithed uh, stood up and you went to them and asked them a question, why do you do it? One of the top answers and not the number one answer would be because I am in love with the Savior. I am devoted to him. And the proof of it is their money's there. Your treasure goes first. Your heart follows after. So everyone that's a tither, I'm kidding, don't do that. Yeah. Here's the last one. You may be a citizen of earth if you aren't eagerly looking for a savior. The citizens of heaven are eagerly, that's the word he used. He's even saying this with tears. We are eagerly awaiting our home, awaiting our savior. But those on the earth, their minds are set on earthly things. We could be looking to the sky, but we've got our heads down. The psalmist asked in Psalm 121, these words, where does my help come from? The citizen of earth says it comes from the world. I look at my bank account to save me. I look to my good standing among people to carry me through hard times. I, I look to my distraction, my addiction, these pleasures for the remedy. But a citizen of heaven has their mindset on Jesus. And they shout from the rooftops, I have no savior but Jesus. Next week, I hope that you're here, we're going to talk about what it means to have Jesus as a master and what a gift that it is. But for today, this is what we're going to say. As a citizen of heaven, we are never without hope. No matter how gloomy, no matter who gets elected, no matter the stock market, no matter the COVID, no matter the gas prices, no matter the immorality of the nation, even if the United States were to fail... We have a Savior who has stood the test of time, who has himself overcome the penalty of death, the sting of sin. He is the victor. And I got to know, we all got to know this. 
He's returning again. And he's coming to begin a new heaven and a new earth. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I think what this message boils down to is, would you rather have a created thing or the creator? Would you rather turn to that which is temporary and fleeting or turn to that which is eternal? Because your soul goes on forever. I pray for you it goes on forever in the presence of God where there is no more weeping, no more shame, no more pain. Just his glorious presence, just like we felt in worship today. We don't have to imagine that God is in the room. We just got to believe it. His healing is here. His power is here for those who would believe. So as we close today, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to choose to be a citizen of heaven. By faith, you don't earn it. You don't have to grovel before the Lord. You simply receive the invitation of Jesus to become your savior. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's a promise. So let's just bow our heads and just ask the Lord for some clarity here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're praying. God, make it clear to us. Am I a citizen of earth or a citizen of heaven? And in this first prayer, I'm talking about salvation. Have you been sealed by the blood of Jesus? Have you been saved for all eternity into his glorious presence, away from the weeping and the gnashing of teeth? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Are you born again, the child of God, an heir to the throne, part of the people of God, the family of God? And if you're not sure, then become sure today. Make a decision today by faith to declare, Jesus, you are Lord I desire you for salvation. I desire you for forgiveness and mercy, your love to pour over and in me. So church, as we do faithfully, as often as we can, on the count of three, let's make this confession all together, every voice saying, Jesus is Lord. One, two, three, Jesus is Lord. Yes, you are, God. If you're making that declaration today for the first time, then you've just received salvation. You are born again today. November 6th, 2022, saved by the Lord Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to do something if that's true of you. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand and hold it up for a moment, declaring to the Lord, I am saved. On the count of three, if that's you, first time you've made that declaration, raise your hand, one, two, three. Anybody in the house today? Anybody for salvation today? Praise God. Thank you, Lord bunch of saved people in the house, bunch of citizens of heaven, bunch of faithful followers of Jesus. Here's a second prayer. Lord, I may be saved. I may be part of citizen of heaven, but I've been living as a citizen of the world. I have not given up my independence to be dependent on you. I've trusted the dollars more than I've trusted you. I've trusted the things that I've accomplished on the earth to be my savior more than you. There's no condemnation in the house. There's just a calling, a conviction to come and live in that place that leads to blessing and to walk away from destruction, perdition, 
may fruitfulness arise. I'm just gonna let you soak here for a minute and make your decisions, make your declarations to the king. Come out of the gloom, come out of the destruction, come out of the despair and walk into his blessing. Remember that this place is not your home. You are not confined even to your body as it gets older and broken. Your spirit gets stronger and healthier. Thank you, God, for the newness in our minds that we belong to something that is not earthly, supernaturally blessed. We receive it into our spirits. We walk with you by faith, not by sight believing that the best is already around us and still to come. In Jesus' mighty name, we all pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you all.